Welcome to Photography Insights, and I'm your host, Andrew Walmsley. This is the show that interviews people from around the photography world. Today, I'm glad to invite you to listen to Ella Morton, an artist from Toronto. Ella's work uses land-based technology, but also a variety of experimental and alternative processes. Her work is about telling deep stories with a mixture of alchemy. We discuss a number of her projects, including Dubious Cosmology, which is all about using pictures from the internet with the wet plate process. You remember the ones that don't look real and could easily be described as Photoshop fakes. We even discuss Ella's version of film soup and a series The Dissolving Landscape. There is also talks of exhibiting your work by using animation tricks from the 1800s. Then we also look at this idea of making colour images from black and white film. Ella has also spent time in the Svalbard region of the Arctic too and made her film on Super 8 using interesting techniques. So in this one we discuss truths of imagery, road trips, Sergei Goskai, safety with chemicals, artist residences, super 8 mil, film soup, colour filters, and modern sage. And of course there will be links to Ella's Instagram website and there will be some of her images in the show notes too, hoping uh, it will give you some light into um, her wonderful work. Please don't forget the friends of the show, Steve Cromer Camera, FilmDev.kk and StaticAge.kuk. This week I'd like to leave a shout out because some of you know I was isolating as my daughter was ill with Covid. Thankfully, all good now. And during this time, the people at Point 51 released their latest edition, number 4. So, excellent timing, since I was housebound. Anyway, again, um, lovely work. Uh, It's a long article, news-type magazine with lovely photography for those who have never seen it. And yes, I know, I must get round to writing a review soon. So don't forget to check them out at point51magazine.com That's point, P-O-I-N-T, and then the number 51magazine.com Please don't forget, I launched my uh, dedicated website, awarmsley.art, and there you can see all my personal projects. And if you follow me on Instagram, that's awarmsley.art as well. I've just put up um, another image from my Fear and Loathing series, and in true Andy fashion, I ended up cutting myself. So don't forget to check that out. So, all we can do is play the music and await our guest Ella. And welcome to the show, Ella. Thank you, Andrew. Nice to be here. <laughs> it's nice to meet you. All the way over. Is it in sunny in Toronto today? Today it's raining here, but it's oh. usually it's sunny in July in Toronto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be. 
Um, we've got absolute lovely warmth today. I'm actually sweating here, so it's uh, okay. unusually good weather, which is great. Great. Nice. Mm. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> well, I think we deserve it, but to be fair, um, I'm a mm -hmm. massive football fan, and we had some great news uh, for our national team yesterday, so that was really good. Excellent. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we came across um, your work, uh, and that was all through the lovely lens scratch yet again. Mm -hmm. um, it's been an amazing resource. Uh, my listeners already know about lens scratch and uh, Elaine and the great work they're doing. So I'm always grateful to them. Um, and you know what stood out was quite a lot of your project work. So I mean, I might as well start with the first one, which. Um, this made me sort of laugh. I thought it was great. Uh, is the dubious uh, cosmology. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that uh, that was my MFA thesis project. So I did that work okay. when I was in graduate school, um, which was six years ago now. I think I finished it. And, um, yeah, so that work, it's it's been a while now. I'm kind of on to other things. But... Um, but yeah, it, I was looking at, um, sort of tropes of science fiction and like all my work is about the landscape and how the land is this place where we confront mystery and the unknown in some way. Okay. And so, so science fiction is, uh, an area where that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so with dubious cosmology, I was um, looking at different, yeah, different ways that that um, that experience of uh, being in the mystery within the land um, manifests itself. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of that's it in a nutshell. But did you have a more specific question about it? Well, it's it's like um, you did these uh, on web plate, didn't you? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's that really unusual. So why wet play then for this one? Yeah, yeah. So that uh, one of the parts of that project was a series of wet play collodion tintypes where I took, I just found um, JPEG images on the internet of UFO mm -hmm. sightings. And then I printed out a digital negative of them so you can just get this, it's called Picturico, like transparent paper, and you can oh, yeah. print out on, on an inkjet printer on it. Um, so I made little inkjet prints to make like digital negatives of them. And then in the dark room, I went and put those in an enlarger and exposed the wet plate tintypes um, under the enlarger to make, uh, to make the collodion images. So yeah, and the the theme with that was um, I was looking at the credibility of photography over its history. So yeah. you know how, so when with wet plate collodion, that was a commonly used process in the mid 1800s when photography yeah. was a very new invention and totally Victorian, isn't it? yeah so if you look at so there's like spirit photography images from that time um yeah yeah where basically it's for the most part just 
people who understand how to make double exposures or um, so there's like some very cheesy images of, uh, yeah, from the 1800s of people kind of dressed up as a ghost with like a bed sheet over them or, um, or yeah, or someone will be posing as a ghost, but they've made a double exposure. So they're trans semi-transparent, um, things like that. And, uh, but at the time the public was really shocked and mystified by these images because uh, people understood photography to be a 100% true depiction of reality at that yeah. time. So there was so much faith in photography um, at that time that that's, that's proof of something, right? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But nowadays, you know, we're, we're much more skeptical of photographs and, you know, we assume oh, that yeah. things can be Photoshopped so much, right? Um, yeah. So... Yeah, so I was I was playing with those two extremes, I guess. Mm. And, um, yeah, and so I was taking like images of UFOs, which are one of the most dubious forms <laughs> of photographs that we have. Just slightly. Yeah, slightly, maybe. Um, and uh, yeah, and often when you find them online, they're kind of really bad quality, very pixelated, a lot oh, of yeah, them, yeah. and yeah. Um, and you know, there's all sorts of ways that like a viewer might think, oh, that's, that's Photoshopped or that's just someone throwing a Frisbee and mm -hmm. taking a <laughs> long exposure or something or, um, so yeah, so I was superimposing those types of images onto this process that came from a time when people had total faith in, in a photograph. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's very clever, actually, because mm -hmm. it's not apparent when you just look at a photo, for instance, is it? Mm -hmm. That you're trying to do this with a project. So that, that's um, right. that's really clever. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I was also. I, do you know the artist Hedo Steirel? She's no. a German artist. Um, she does a lot of like multimedia videos and um, performative stuff and installations. Uh, but okay. she she wrote this essay called In Defense of the Poor Image. And hmm. it was a really good um, kind of manifesto about the importance of uh, poor poor quality images in modern times. Um, mm. So, yeah, so these kinds of images I'm talking about, just like JPEGs, yeah, hmm. low quality JPEGs on the internet. Um, yeah, she really articulated well, like, the significance of those in the public imagination right now. Yeah. So something to yeah. check out, maybe. Yeah, that that's interesting because it it is totally as you say now. Photography is not truth mm -hmm. because if you look in a um, you know a high end fashion magazine, nobody looks like that. Right. Nobody wears clothes like that. Nobody's skin looks like that. Exactly. Um, film industry is exactly the same into you know as in the movies yeah exactly um, and then obviously any marketing material everything's touched up because everyone's perfect mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it was sort of a yeah poking fun at that a little bit mm. that work <laughs> mm -hmm. no, that's really cool yeah. so you've done a digital negative so how big would you be printing a negative are you talking medium format um, you could you could do whatever whatever you wanted. Um, I I 
printed them out as four by five, I guess, just because <laughs> I normally work with a four by five camera. So that yeah. was just kind of in my head is what I was used to. But yeah, you could print mm. them out medium format. And it, it would really just depend on what size film holder that you want to work with in the darkroom. Right, no, that's cool. So you've got a four by five enlarger. Um, I I was using at the time, yeah, I was using the darkroom uh, at the university where I did my graduate studies at the time. Right. So yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very lucky then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the other things I really liked was um, see if I say it right. Is it geotrope? Geotrope. Yeah. Geotrope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when I looked at these, you know, without looking anything cut you're like this is strange because it looks almost painted okay yeah mm -hmm. um, obviously, yeah. obviously like you say the composites um that, where did that idea come from then yeah um yeah that's another older project um i uh finished it in about 2014 i, I guess i was working on it 2012 to 2014 um <laughs> i had an exhibition of it uh out in british columbia in Canada here at the wow. time. Um, but yeah, it was another sort of multimedia project. So it came from, um, I did this big road trip in 2012, where I, at the time I was living in my hometown, which is Vancouver, BC, on the West okay. Coast. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I spent three months, drove um, down through the US and then back up into Canada, went all the way to Newfoundland, which is very wow. far eastern so Canada, nice. <laughs> um, and then and then all the way back to Vancouver, and um, so yeah, I wanted to make some work about just how how we as like one human being take in such like vast spaces of land and uh, yeah. how the landscape changes over the course of these large spaces. So yeah, so the main uh, the main piece of that project, um, which sort of is what the name came from, geotrope, was I made a zootrope. Um, so you know zootropes? No. It's like a traditional animation device um, okay. where it's sort of uh, like this circular device that's yes. spinning, yep. right? And then um, you put. Uh, kind of a, like stop motion animation images inside the yeah. device. And then there's like a little slit that you can That's look and yeah, through. look through to see inside it as it's spinning and you see the animation yeah. happening. Um, yeah, so I, I took, um, as I was on my road trip, I took four by five um, slide film images of the landscape every step mm -hmm. of the way. And then I, I created a, a zootrope device and um, had those the actual negatives and or not negatives like positives mm. uh, the slide images. Uh, I installed them in in the zootrope. So um, yeah, it's it wasn't exactly uh, animation in the traditional sense, but when you look mm. through it and saw it spinning, you get this kind of instantaneous rendition of of the whole landscape from west to east and back again in north america ah that's why and you did that right yeah, yeah um so yeah and it was also just playing with scale so um it's this instantaneous um hmm. depiction of this huge amount of space right um mm. 
so yeah, so I was playing with that and sort of the idea of how impossible it really is to take to take it all in as one person, I guess. Um, yeah, so so that was the main piece, but then the the piece you were asking about um, the the photographs that go with it. Um, yeah, I made these uh, composite images um, where I, I just took, I scanned all those, all those negatives that I captured on the trip and then superimposed mm -hmm. them all into one image. Um, mm -hmm. And there, there's three of them. So I did three kind of sets of images. I photographed the road going into the distance and then I photographed the horizon. Um, so whether it was flat or mountainous and then I photographed trees all across the landscape. And so I did um, a composite piece for each of those things. So hmm. I just took all the images that I took and in Photoshop, I layered them all together. So yeah, it like you said, it becomes this painterly sort of impressionistic rendition hmm. of um, kind of averaging out all those different things. That's really nice because you're not using composites for um, like we've had composite artists on before okay. and that's, you know, a different style. But this is mm -hmm. it's like using um, presenting time. Right. And growth and change, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And um, I, I think that's really nice. It's a, again, that is such a unique way of presenting it. Do, um, what is, so it was a zootrope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Because that's a, is that Edwardian? They use all them out there. I I can't recall off the top of my head what time period it came out of. Um, but they've been around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen them in an old museum some some yeah. place. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't yeah. know if it was in like a curiosity type place. Okay. It might have been. Yeah, they are sort of yeah. yeah curiosity kind of thing hmm. yeah mm -hmm. that's a really clever thing though of using a photograph in one of them right yeah i remember seeing the picture on your website and i thought that's really clever because it's an ideal thing for an exhibition rather than say a fixed image right yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah i'm always trying to think of ways that uh you can take photography and do something else with it rather than mm. just a straight photograph, you know, which um, I think in these days with digital photography and social media and everyone's got their smartphone, it, it's important yeah. for artists to think about what, what else can photography do um, yeah. that, yeah, that goes beyond just a plain photograph of something. Mm. So, yeah. No, that's good. Because mm -hmm. there's quite a few artists that have, um, Got the ideas, um, but what they do is they either open it in Photoshop or if they're a um, darkroom person, they're, you know, they're playing that. And they keep playing and playing till mm -hmm. they actually come up with the thing they want. Yep. I definitely want to discuss uh, modern side because um, I interviewed mm -hmm. um, Jason um, Lazarus okay. and he was telling me a little bit about this um, process. And you've used it in a really lovely way, I have to say um Thank i love you. the way you've built that in with like landscapes and buildings and scenery and things like that that's great thank you thanks mm -hmm. so 
Do you want to tell us about that project? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with Morden Sage, I've used that in my most recent body of work, which is called the Dissolving Landscape. And mm -hmm. I've been, it's, I guess it's the largest scale project I've done so far. And um, it's sort of got multiple chapters to it. So I started that project in 2016. And I was going on this artist residency called the Arctic Circle Program. Um, mm -hmm. It's you go to Svalbard, um, which oh, is God. yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. For listeners who don't know where Svalbard is, it's these <laughs> islands um, very far north, uh, close to the North Pole, uh, but they're part of Norway. And um, so I went there and then it's 30 artists on this tall ship and you sail around Svalbard for a couple weeks and do landings and make work, whatever that is for each person. Um, mm. And yeah, it was amazing. And so, yeah, I started that project there. I was making images of the Arctic landscape. At the time I was, um, just using film soaking techniques, or as some folks call it, film soup. Um, so I soaked, before I went on the trip, I soaked color film in um, different different kind of everyday household uh, materials, wine, lemon juice, uh, yogurt sometimes I used, uh, mm -hmm. different things like that to uh, warp the film in a variety of ways. And um, so then I went to Svalbard, shot the film, and it, they came out as these very uh, saturated kind of, yeah, interestingly warping, dissolving sort of images of that Arctic landscape. So the goal with that was to um, have those, have the alteration on the film evoke both the sublime, the magical, the amazing qualities of that landscape, but also the fragility of it, the uncertainty of its future. So the, the landscape is dissolving in the same way that the the emulsion on the film is dissolving. And mm. um, yeah, so, so that was kind of chapter one of that project. But okay. then I, yeah, I came home, I was thinking about what to do next. And I found, I discovered Morden Sage just online somewhere. And I thought that would be another really perfect process to use to, um, to communicate that same idea. Um, yeah. It has that same quality of, um, you know, Morden Sage images can look very sublime and magnificent mm. and mysterious, but, uh, but it also has this appearance of like the image is literally melting and dissolving away. So, uh, yeah, so I started experimenting in the darkroom with Morden Sage. And then uh, in 2018, I did a couple other artist residencies. I went to Finland for one, and then also to Newfoundland, which, as I said, is Eastern Canada, um, and made a lot of Morden Sage images from those journeys. And mm -hmm. then also um, in 2019, I, so after I went to Svalbard, I, really wanted to see the Arctic in my own country since I'm Canadian. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I did a trip in 2019 to Nunavut, which is in the Canadian Arctic. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I shot more images there, both the color ones and black and white for Mordensage. 
I also shot a short film project on Super 8 millimeter. Um, and yeah, and then made more work from that. And here we are. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the project in a nutshell. But um, you want, I guess, did you want to talk a little more about Mordensage specifically? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because okay. Jason obviously introduced the concept to me, talked a little bit about the fear was um, it's a very toxic, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. So how so have you done this at home? Um, I, I haven't done it at home. I only done it in the dark room. So um, okay. for a while I was able to use the dark room at York University where I did my master's degree. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was using that. And then since COVID started, I wasn't able to use that dark room, but I've been uh, in, there's a photography gallery and dark room uh, organization here in Toronto called Gallery 44 that I've been, I've been using the dark room there a little bit. Um, okay. So yeah, so I've, I've only done it in the dark room. I, um, yeah, I don't really have enough space in my apartment or, and don't want to bring those kind of chemicals into my own bathroom. So <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Cause he, um, I can't remember if it was him or someone else who said the only time they did it was near a bay loading, uh, a bay loading area okay um, because it was near the outside okay but yeah was you okay with the standard darren and there was enough ventilation yeah yeah um yeah all i would say so i i always um wear a vapor mask while i'm doing okay. it um at least while i've got those chemicals out um yeah, yeah. so basically with mordensage um just to kind of go over the process a bit um, so yeah. you make a regular black and white print to begin with in the dark room. Um, yeah. So you develop, stop, fix it, rinse it. And, um, and then from there, uh, after you're done that or done making as many prints as you want, you can turn the lights on and get out your Mordensage chemicals. Um, and the Mordensage chemistry, maybe you went over it with Jason, but um, it's a mix of um, copper chloride, acetic acid and very strong hydrogen peroxide and water. Um, okay. So yeah, you mix it together. It's, it's this kind of very tropical looking bright blue color. Um, <laughs> it kind of looks like Kool-Aid or something, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, then you pour it in a tray, you put your image in that um, and just kind of rock it for a while. It'll bleach out the image. And then, um, yeah, and then anywhere where you've got pure black shadows on your image, the emulsion will start to lift off the paper. And yeah. then, um, yeah, and then you take it out of the Mordensage chemistry, put it in some warm water. And uh, then, yeah, the emulsion will continue. It kind of starts to make bubbles until finally it'll kind of lift off completely. And then you'll have this very sort of thin kind of membrane of the emulsion mm. um, which then you can manipulate um, so yeah then after that you put it back in the developer to bring the image back up um, and yeah and from there you um, yeah you just have to very carefully uh, play around with it and rinse it off after it's done developing um, so usually you'll get um, kind of almost like blisters or bubbles of yeah, um, yeah of the uh, 
the emulsion that's come off and then you have to sort of drain them out like there's liquid underneath them. Um, so if you can do that very carefully and then rinse it a little bit, um, then you can get these beautiful veils um, and just, yeah, like textures mm. um, from the emulsion. And then once it dries completely, they stick back onto the paper. So um, yeah, so that's how it works. But um, yeah, as I said, I, uh, yeah, I just make sure I've got the fan going in the room and I mm. wear my vapor mask uh, the whole time while I've got the Mordensage chemicals out. And so far I haven't had an issue doing it that way, so. <laughs> no, that sounds, well, safety with things like that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's, wear goggles when I'm mixing the chemistry too, just You do, case. right, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. It sounds a very involved process because obviously if you're going through one process first, then mm -hmm. you do Mordensage, and then you're going back to black and white chemicals again. Right. That's a, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of chemicals, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And how was you coping with like movement and that? Because I think Jason said, do you have to be very careful about movement? Because obviously mm -hmm. the emulsion will move on you. So do you have to be delicate when you're then going back to your black and white and washing again? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Right. Or like after it's, after you've done the, put it in the Mordensage chemistry. Yeah. Um, yeah, once that emulsion is kind of lifted off the paper, uh, it's very delicate. So um, for for every successful Mordensage print that I make, there are many, many of the same one that didn't turn out so good. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's very easy for the emulsion to break off. Um, sometimes it breaks in really beautiful ways and you can make mm -hmm. that work in the composition. Uh, but sometimes it just like too much of it breaks off and it gets all messy and um, yeah. And then you got to just try again. So, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it does look beautiful. Um, and it's so, it's so crazy that you're using a technique that actually degrades what you're supposed to be using it for. Right. Yeah. It, it's, mm -hmm. it, that's, that's, uh, that's fantastic. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will admit I do, um, because uh, Mordensage prints are not entirely archival, just because of that, the how harsh the chemicals are, um, right. I do scan them and do a little bit of Photoshop on them after and then make additioned, um, yeah, digital light jet prints from them. Um, hmm. So, yeah, so when you see my final images, they are a little bit cleaned up <laughs> digitally from what they originally are. Um, yeah. That's, fine, um, right? That's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. But I, I have also figured out some ways in the darkroom to sort of, um, yeah, get, get things to work for me as best as they can. So like, um, you know, if you look up Mordensage instructions online, it might tell you like, okay, after you take it out of the developer, you need to rinse it for a long time. Uh, but what I usually do is I'll, after I do the Mordensage and the warm water and the redeveloping, um, I'll rinse it a little bit just to get kind of all the chemistry drained out from under the veils, but then yeah. I'll usually dry it right away. Um, and even sometimes just go over it with a hairdryer 
Um, mm -hmm. So that way the emulsion sticks back onto the paper. And hmm. then I'll rinse it again after that to try to just get all the excess chemistry off. Um, hmm. So yeah, so that, cause if you rinse it while those veils are still loose and floating around, then hmm. yeah, then they'll probably break off. Uh, yeah, cause that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Obviously the whole point of washing is to gently rock it, to get all the chemicals, make sure yeah. they're all the paper. Yeah. So I was thinking, this sounds like nearly an impossible task. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's a big part of it for me is I'll I'll rinse it slightly, um, and then I'll dry it right away. Um, and you know, sometimes the print can start to get a little yellow and stuff from that. Um, hmm. But I mean, I don't mind that because it's all sort of experimental and everything. Um, yeah, but then I'll yeah I'll make sure it's totally dry and then re-rinse it again after. Okay, but you're doing. I assume you're doing very modest agitation sort of thing uh yeah yeah or at least while the uh, while the uh emulsion is still loose then yeah, yeah i'm really yeah i've got both my hands on, on the edges <laughs> of the print and i'm just kind of very please, slowly please tilting it one way or another yeah um yeah so even even if i like uh put a hair dryer on it um yeah. like sometimes the the air from the hair dryer can push the the veils one way or another right. and so you have to be careful about that and kind of hmm. be aware what angle the air is coming from so wow i mean it sounds a fascinating process yeah yeah it is it's um yeah once you get get the hang of it and get a groove hmm. with it it's it's really fun but um yeah there's a lot of trial and error and uh, yeah i've i've had many frustrating days where i've been in the dark room all day and come out with not much of anything. So oh. <laughs> it's mm. part of the process. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm the same, just trying to do a straight print sometimes. Oh, um, totally. <laughs> For sure. You get a difficult mm -hmm. negative. Um, I had one, I think I spent an hour and a half and I just thought, I'm not capable of doing this. I'm yeah. not that level yet. And you're like, oh, great. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah. It's something you have to get past, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, the other one other thing about the Mordensage process that I do think about a lot is um, like pre-planning um, your, like even when you're shooting, uh, mm -hmm. planning out um, how how the image will look like in the end is a Mordensage image. Um, yeah. So in that sense, um, I try to think about um, making an image with a lot of negative space, because then knowing that mm -hmm. later that negative space will become the the Mordensage veils, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and then with some of my images, um, so I'm not always just working right from the negative that I shot. Um, mm. Sometimes, like like I was saying before, I'll um, I'll scan my negatives and then I'll do some stuff in Photoshop um, and mm. print out a digital negative to work with. Um, mm. Sometimes I'll even make a reverse image, so it'll be, um, yeah, like not the original black and white image, but inversed. Um, and uh, yeah, so basically, because you want your your print that you're gonna put through the mordensage, you want it to have some big areas that are totally black, right? Totally black, yeah. So yeah, so like with a lot of them, I just make the sky be that part the mm -hmm. that gets mordensage. So 
Um, so if I'm shooting and it's a cloudy day then, and there's not much detail in the sky, then that's good. So I'll shoot that and then I'll scan it. And um, in Photoshop, I'll just select the sky and inverse it so it's black instead of white. And then I'll print out my digital negative and use that. Um, uh, I see, right. So yeah. you're not too fussed if you if the weather's not exactly what you wanted or the location in, mm -hmm. you know, you can invert it. and Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's clever, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've got lots of little cheats like that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's what works, isn't it? Exactly, It's, it's yeah. all that's important, really. It, it mm -hmm. doesn't matter um, yeah. about anything else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with other images, like some, it's not always the sky that I use. Like um, sometimes mm -hmm. there's some object in the image that seems to work. Like I have a picture I took in Iceland of a beach in Southern Iceland. And there was this enormous rock that was very dark. Like they have these um, the black sand beaches and all the rock there is like almost black. Um, so yeah, I had a picture of that and I was able to use just the original negative for that, but I just made sure that I burned that rock part a little extra, um, so it was totally, totally black in the print, uh, yeah. and then that became the Mordensage part. So yeah, 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 it's so, good because yeah, you you've got like you say something like that, you really have to pre-visualize because it's mm -hmm. it's very different to anything else. So that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah. But but then that is like the total opposite of doing like your film soup. Because you can't yeah. plan that, can you? <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah. You could say that for sure. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I find this really interesting because I've talked to people that have done things with negatives and they always say they process the film then they do the effects on the film. So whether they're um, cutting it, burning it or whatever. Right. Yeah. So you're doing it before. Yeah. With, with my still photography, when I do the film soups, um, I'm, yeah, I'm soaking it in things before I shoot it. And okay. yeah. So you're taking everything with you into the dark room. Yeah. Uh, that stuff I just do in my bathroom at home. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'll just decide what I want to soak it in, put it in a Ziploc bag, um, yeah. and then I'll have like a black bag, you know, like the black bags from when you bag, get yeah. boxes of prints. Um, and uh, yeah, I just go in the bathroom, put all the, I use mostly four by five negatives. So I put them all in the bag, swish them around, close it up, put them in the black bag, tie it up, put uh, some tape on it with the date I want to take it out and then go leave it. <laughs> Right, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's been um, What's been your favorite um, sort of ingredient or whatever you want to call it that you've used? Hmm. I, I don't like it to be, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it because I know lots of people listening will be interested in trying <clears> it out themselves, but I... I, sometimes I hesitate to talk about the ingredients because okay. I just not um, just because I don't want people to think that they're part of the thematic side of the work. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I don't want people to think, oh, I soaked it in wine and that has something to do with the image or like the the concept. But because it doesn't really, it's just about uh, yeah the means to an end of making an interesting image. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but uh, but yeah, some of my favorite um, ingredients. Um, yeah, like I said, red wine comes out really cool. Uh, lemon juice mm -hmm. comes out nice, um, and yogurt gives it this kind of veiny, weird, luminous effect. Um, I even soaked some in my own pee, <laughs> okay. and that that gave a that gave a good effect. Um, yeah, I know lots of people use beer. Um, I just did like a Google search and uh, looked at what other yeah. people were trying. And then I did a bunch of tests and yeah. Um, yeah. And worked with what worked best. Hmm. Did you do like one sort of experiment per sheet then? Uh, I did. I did more than one experiment or, well, yeah. Um, I guess I, yeah, when I was originally experimenting with it, uh, I think I I put more than one sheet in each solution, and then I I played around with like taking it out after this many days, and then leaving another sheet in a bit longer. So I played around with the timing of how oh, long yeah, each yeah. one was soaking in each thing, um, and yeah, and then went from there. Because sometimes, yeah, each each material kind of, uh, yeah, can takes a certain amount of time to make the effect really ideal. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, with the wine, I think it was like two or three or four days was good. But whereas with yogurt or lemon juice, it was more like seven or eight days was ideal from what I recall. Wow. Um, but, yeah, but folks should do their own tests because, uh, yeah, yeah, factors like heat and everything would affect it too if – um, if yeah. you're leaving it outside in the middle of summer, it might uh, come out different than if it's winter or something. So, mm. yeah, because that's definitely something I can try. Um, yeah, I think I get some stuff out of the kitchen, but I mainly mess about with 35 mil because it's the cheapest I can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people just um, take the 35 millimeter canisters and just drop them in the liquid um just in okay. the canister and uh yeah and then and also the timing might be a little different with that um yeah. just because it's in a canister as opposed to a sheet film which is out yeah um and yeah i had some i did a bit of 35 mil as well and um i had some success also just putting uh the canisters through the dishwasher a couple times um so if you've got mm. a dishwasher at home or <laughs> then, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I just put some in the dishwasher, ran it twice, I think was ideal, um, and then took them out. Um, then you can uh, leave them to dry uh, with, for me, I just went in, went in uh, the bathroom with the lights off, pulled the film out and dried it with a hairdryer and then rolled it back in. Um, but some people just, stick them in a jar of rice for a couple of weeks to dry them out yeah. that way too so yeah because i suppose that's the other thing and it getting it dried out mm -hmm. that sort of brought me on to um your urban images um oh. because you know this is lovely again and and using this idea of color um i mean you must tell everyone because i don't think everyone will know about this process either right uh, the urban mirages series mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't worked on that one in the last while. It was sort of an ongoing project for a number of years. Um, 
but yeah, that project, I loosely adapted this process um, that was created by this Russian photographer from the early 20th century. His name was Sergei Prokudengorsky. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, uh, like um, photography was first invented in the mid 1800s. Um, mm-hmm. And then color photography didn't come about until I think the 1920s or 30s. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but before, before color photography began, there were uh, various photographers trying to come up with me- methods to make a color image. So um, yeah, so Prokhor and Gorsky, he wasn't the only one who was working with this approach, but um, yeah, but he was one, one of a few people who was doing this. Um, so he, he built his own camera um, where he would take, it would take three black and white images at the same time. And okay. he had a filter in front of each lens for each picture. So he had a red and a green and a blue filter, so RGB, right? Um, And so those filters would uh, make each image slightly different, right? So because each one's blocking out the light, yeah, you're blocking out these different, uh, yeah, light waves, and um, and then he would. um, So he was sponsored by the Tsar of Russia at the time to Mm. go around. Uh, Russia and take pictures of the different areas. Um, and uh, this was like 19, like 10 to 1913 or something. And, uh, and then after he did that, he would do these like slide presentations um, of his work. So he'd project his images and he'd essentially just take his three um, negatives and sandwich them together with with like uh, colored filters of red, green, and blue, and mm-hmm. um, and then project them. And you would get um, like it would probably be a little bit muddled, but you would essentially get mm. like a color image, and that the color information would be there. Um, so yeah, so then I think the the Library of Congress in the U.S. Um, were able to get all his negatives, and they. Um, they scanned them all and then essentially uh, reconstructed them digitally um, and then kind of enhanced the colors digitally. And so they've got this whole um, series of, uh, of his images and they're really interesting to look at because it's, it's color images from this time before there was color photography. And yeah. so, yeah, so seeing these scenes from, uh, from 1910, 1912, and in color is really sort of unnerving and interesting. Um, so yeah, so I was really intrigued by by that work and was thinking about like, what could I do with this process in a modern context? So um, yeah, so I started photograph, I started photographing different things, but um, I was thinking about movement and how could I uh, play with movement and sort of, reveal that process of layering images with different Hmm. colored filters um, through the movement. And so sort of like deliberately making mistakes in it kind of, and I, yeah. And so I, I eventually landed on um, photographing 
tourist attractions of various kinds and mm -hmm. just places where people gather for whatever reason and they're gathering to look at something. And so, so it's showing that thing that they're looking at, but also the movement of the people through the space. And so, yeah, so I started um, photographing and trying to just take a series of images one after the other with those colored filters on top. And then I realized I don't even need to use the colored filters. It's more just about uh, taking a bunch of black and white negatives, showing the movement through that space, and then I can layer them together in Photoshop. And, um, and then just, yeah, set each layer to being a different color and it's more or less reproducing his process loosely. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, but it's um, showing, yeah, showing all the kind of chaos and movement in these spaces. Yeah, because it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought as well, isn't it? Because like you say, the colors are there, but they're not necessarily how were physically there sort of thing was there mm -hmm. the colors would be slightly different in different places yeah 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 um, so it's playing with time and how the scene will change over time and because hmm. uh, yeah you kind of so yeah the different layers of color show like if someone's walking through the space at one point they'll be sort of partly transparent in the final image so it's yeah it's showing how movement and time happen in these spaces and that's why you you put people in there so you could see time in essence right yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah that, yeah that makes sense now actually yeah because yeah. obviously it'd be hard to photograph a landscape over time without doing a totally different sort of process wouldn't it? right yeah um, mm -hmm. i mean it, it's so fascinating like these pioneers Mm -hmm. of the limitations they had and they just work stuff out i know yeah it's it's very impressive yeah because mm -hmm. now um like i'm talking in groups and stuff about um black and white paper and black and white chemicals but getting a color print mm -hmm. uh, and what one lad i know is actually trying to do it in reverse now as well so he's okay. trying to do color slide into black and white okay yeah and you're like, you know, because some people would just say, well, you shouldn't be doing it or you can't do it. So give up or the mm -hmm. two crap, you know, and <laughs> it's like, well, some of us are too interested and intrigued, aren't we? Yeah. 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 It's like, what, what can I, even if, yeah, if something is obsolete or if it's just a mistake of some kind, what can I pull out of that process yeah. that can make some, I can make something interest, interesting with? Because, and, and in a way, like you're saying, red, green, blue, mm -hmm. so they are the primary colours to make an image. So it does sort of make sense that mm -hmm. you can make colour from black and white in that sense. Right, yeah, exactly. So it makes me think about trying mm -hmm. that sort of like digitally first. Mm -hmm. See if I, um, I don't think I've got all the colours though. It would be interesting. Mm -hmm. And what would happen if you had, I'm assuming if you add all three colours on together, you're actually just going to end up blocking out loads of visible light. Yeah. Well, what I found when I was making those photos for Urban Mirages, 
anywhere in when I do do all the layering in Photoshop, any part of the image where nothing was moving will just yeah. pretty much go back to being black and white. Mm. Right. Um, but then, yeah, anywhere where there's movement, then you get the multicolored effect. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you come across um, that, that Russian guy then? I think I just, I think someone just shared it on a, an article about his work on Facebook or something years ago. Okay. Yeah, hmm. just came across it online and yeah. Amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a load of these sort of people gaining uh, traction now. Uh, mm -hmm. And I just think it's fascinating. Yeah. I love this idea of working with a constraint and making something mm -hmm. useful with it. For sure, exactly. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. And obviously, um, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was this um, infinite uh, infinity city. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because that, that that's really nice as well, and it's not just about uh, a single image in this sense. Um, it actually makes a better picture when you've combined a few together, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that piece was also part of my geotrope body of work. Okay. So, um, yeah, like I said, that project, I was trying to work in different media. And yeah. so when I was on that road trip that I did, I, I in all the places I went, I started collecting postcards from each place. So uh -huh. I just buy a few postcards wherever I was. And it's same thing as what I was talking about with Urban Mirages. I was thinking about well, like why why are certain places idealized or like uh -huh. why is why is this scene from this angle of this thing um, representing this place of all things, you know? Uh, why is this building representative of this place or this uh natural phenomena or whatever it may be that you find on postcards and yeah i was interested in uh, yeah why why we choose these specific things to represent places and so yeah so with that um the infinite city piece is a collage work and i took a bunch of postcards specifically of cities for that one and hmm. i cut out all the different little city skylines and then just collage them all together into this big, long, it's like several feet, I think about uh, like, yeah, 12 feet long or something like that. Wow. Um, like, yeah, it, it took up a whole wall in the gallery space. Um, so uh, yeah, and then uh, you you can just kind of walk along. It was all I glued it onto a black like black pieces of paper just as a backdrop, and yeah, you can walk along and like you'll you'll notice different little bits and pieces. Like you'll recognize a certain building in one place, but then it'll be okay. surrounded by other buildings that don't match up with that. And okay. so yeah, so it's kind of just this process of. Uh, the whole thing looking like strange and familiar at the same time, I guess you can say. Wow. Yeah. That's another unique way of 
presenting like a landscape yeah mm -hmm. yeah and again though it's very different um the way it's pre presented to mm -hmm. um like the images of the trees and things like that of the landscape because mm -hmm. it does feel like a cityscape shot in the traditional sense and you've done like a wide vista shot mm -hmm. right yeah so that's, that's really cool i like that yeah yeah i i like playing around with our sense of what we recognize and what we don't recognize and yeah hmm. i guess no, nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong with that it's good because yeah. you you're pushing us all to think as well aren't you yeah hopefully Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it, it, def it certainly works for me. Yeah, for sure. I I, I really like that. Uh, I really love um, architecture. So looking at like a cityscape is quite yeah. a nice thing. Definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Architecture is definitely very interesting. I sometimes I think about. Yeah, I might like to do a project in the future that's more focused on architecture in some way and how much it says about places and how much history and politics is represented in architecture so yeah mm. we'll see <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's interesting that's good that's good well i think we're through the final part of the interview ella okay so why don't you tell everybody where we can check you out online please Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my website is just ellamorton.com. So yeah, E-L-L-A-M-O-R-T-O-N.com. And um, yeah, I'm also on Instagram a lot. And yeah, it's my full name, which is Ella Sharp Morton. Uh, so yeah, at Ella, E-L-L-A-S-H-A-R-P-M-O-R-T-O-N. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. Obviously, there'll be links in the show notes for everybody so they can see your images. Yeah. And the final question is, obviously, I do this pay it forward scheme. Um, right. Is there anyone that I should be checking out that you think is really worthwhile, whether it's different techniques, genres, anything at all that you think is interesting? Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, I uh, There's lots of people, and I could definitely send you some some names of people but uh one mm. thing that came to mind just since we were talking so much about uh, like the film soups and all the different processes um there's this one person on instagram her instagram is called hannah logital um so her name is hannah i don't actually know her last name but um uh -huh. she uh she sort of um made a small business out of um doing film soups and so um yeah like she she's sort of devised um some good recipes for film soups and um soaks the 35 millimeter film in them and then sells them on etsy and uh and then also yeah she also makes um like some pre-exposed films so she she kind of exposes some of the films with uh with lights and then uh rolls them back up into the canister and then you can shoot them but there's sort of luminous bits on the yeah. film so um yeah so that could be something cool to check out oh yeah uh, that sounds cool yeah yeah so yeah for people who want to do a bit of work with with film soup and stuff but don't want to do all the 
trial and error of making your own soups, it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it's nice to try it that way, isn't it? So you sort of know what you can do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. it's like anything with photography, isn't it? If mm-hmm. you get a, someone showing you an idea and then you can play around yourself. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I could certainly, if you want, I can try to think of some other folks to send you later. Yeah, yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. completely fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. so many people um, say, "Oh, I'm really struggling with one. Can I send you a list?" Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Of course you can. I just thought of that while we were talking, but um, but yeah, they're they're definitely. I feel like I'm probably missing some other great people too, off the yeah. top of my head. But mm-hmm. no, no, that's fine. Oh, I say, Alex, uh, thank you for spending this time with me. Um, it's been really lovely finding about uh, your processes and your art. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it's great to talk. It's always fun to talk about this stuff. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. All right. Take care, Alan. Yeah, you too. I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to that episode I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed um, interviewing please don't forget if you want to get involved I'm starting to put out there on social media uh, the list of guests for that week you are welcome to submit any questions you want to ask and uh, hopefully I'll read them out for you whether you want to do that through Instagram um, direct message you can just click if you click on the direct message bit Uh, There's a button there and you can record and send that right across. Uh, But there's many apps you can do. Or email me or send me a DM on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. That's cool with me. For those of you who want to support the show, please don't forget. uh, iTunes reviews are always appreciated. And obviously I will read them out uh, the following week for you. And I tend to use them on social media. So that's all very much appreciated. If you'd like to help contribute towards the show, then don't forget there's my coffee page where you can submit anything from $1 a pound or upwards. And I'll keep a note on there what I'm trying to achieve um, as the months and years go by. For those who want to keep coming back to the show, don't forget you can just subscribe in your friendly podcast app of choice. And there's a weekly newsletter on my website, flogger.co.uk. So that's P-H-L-O-G-G-E-R. And you'll get an automated email from me. And that tells you each week uh, what's gone up on the website. So it's the podcasts and any articles I've wrote. So yeah, thank you so much. And I'll see you again soon. Bye.